MP. Good afternoon. Hello, Dan Torres. Hello, Buzz. How are you? I'm happy for this Thursday. Yeah. I, um, well, I shouldn't say I'm completely happy. Here, I'll just uh -oh, say. Tell me what's going now, on. Now, one sentence. As much as the Supreme Court seems not to care about children being slaughtered in their classrooms, Brian Adams still cares about the future of this planet. And fortunately, he's got somebody else here who does as well. That was a nice introduction. Thank you. Yeah, well, I could have taken more time. If you want, you I'll take have. more time. You no, can. No, no, no. no that's all right. <laughs> Uh, I'm happy belated solstice to everybody. June 21st, Tuesday, the longest day of the year here in the Northern Hemisphere. And I have a fun solstice fact. Do people know that at this time, the Earth is actually the furthest away from the sun? We're the warmest, but it's the furthest away from the sun. It's the tilt, or the, or the Earth tilts on this axis, and now we're sort of pointed toward the sun. That's what makes for these long, wonderful Gorgeous days this weekend, 90 I just have to, the only reason I understood what you just said is because your hand gestures helped me. My hand but gestures. But our poor listeners didn't have your hand gestures. That's very. So they're scratching their head. Yes. About how it is that it's, I don't get it. The sun, we are the furthest away from the sun, but we are tilted toward the sun. And that's what makes for these long days. It's the tilt of the axis of the earth. But aren't we tilted the towards the sun all the time? No. In the winter, we're tilted away from the sun, which is why it's the winter. Buzz, you and I have this conversation after the show because we have <laughs> more important things than even the solstice. You mean I have to sit about. in the corner with a dunce cap you on? You do. All you right. do. Today, we're welcoming Peter Fitman into the studio. Peter is a hydrogeologist, coastal scientist with over 40 years of experience in the field. He's currently coordinator of the Eight Towns the Great Marsh Committee, a division of the Mass Bay's National Estuary Partnership, and Merrimick Valley Planning Commission. Thank you, Peter, for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brian. Um, Peter, up until recently, wetlands were looked upon really unfavorably. We'd never see a wetland that we didn't want to fill in or get rid of or dredge or dike. I mean, we've really done a 180-degree turn on that, and now really recognizing the incredible value that wetlands have. You spend most of your time in the Great Marsh, and some of us um, will be fortunate enough to go on summer vacations, go to the beach, maybe to Cranes Beach in Essex or up to Plum Island. Uh, the Great Marsh is the largest salt marsh in New England, 25,000 acres, uh, going from Gloucester to all the way to Salisbury, the New Hampshire border. Uh, actually, up into, into New Hampshire in as New well. In New Hampshire yeah. as well. Um, so let's start with the basics, uh, Peter. What is a marsh? Well, the Great Marsh is a salt marsh which was created by the barrier beaches that front it, and they're included as part of the marsh ecosystem. A barrier beach is made up of sediment that comes down our, our major rivers, like in this case the Merrimack River, and sand is deposited out front, um, and it protects the behind area from the waves and coastal storms. It's very flat water back there, and over thousands of years, the, the sediment uh, and plant material decays and builds up to a marsh. It's very, very level, and the um, elevation changes in the marsh itself are incremental. But the marsh itself is made up of not just the barrier beaches and the salt marsh, but also the tidal flats, the creeks and rivers that traverse throughout the marsh, as well as the um, 
the uh, islands and uh, and other such features that are within the marsh. And the primary vegetation in a marsh or in the salt marshes is what? Spartina altiniflora is really the uh, prime uh, low marsh plant, and there's a variety of plants. It's Spartina patens, which is on the high marsh, um, but there are also probably a couple dozen different types of plants that will grow in the high marsh. So but, you're going Latin on us here. Is there a common name for those? Uh, I don't know, probably. Cord, some sort of cord grass. Cord Both grass. of them are called cord grasses of uh-huh, some type, uh-huh. yeah. Um, and and again, we used to, to really um, uh, have such a negative view of marshes and really turning around and viewing salt marshes as incredibly important. Can you talk about some of the benefits of salt marshes? Sure. I mean, why I think a lot of it is uh, turned around is our view on salt marshes that we found how protective they are for the built infrastructure. And of course, us humans, we're always worried about how things impact us. That <clears throat> the salt marsh functioning properly will help protect very cheaply um, the coastal um, inhabitants from storm surge and climate change. So what I'm saying is that you have the barrier beach out front, you have the salt marsh behind it, and the grasses and functioning healthy functioning marsh will also mitigate waves and storm surge and that type of thing so that you don't need expensive seawalls along the edge. The salt marsh itself will help protect. And at the same time, it's, it's a habitat for all kinds of species that um, we rely on for fisheries and um, you know the economy. So it has a, a lot of value in that sense. In addition, the salt marsh itself will mitigate pollutants that run off from freshwater down into the marsh. It'll absorb some of those and mitigate that. And it's a carbon sink and all these other great things. My golly, that's a lot to, lot of positives for a, for a salt marsh. Let's talk about this whole issue of sea level rise. And one of the huge concerns with climate change is rising sea levels. And can you speak a little bit more about how marshes protect against sea level rise? Well, they they really protect primarily against storm surge, which is related to climate change because you're getting increases in, in intensity and duration of storms. Sea level rise in the Great Marsh itself is not keeping up with sea level rise, as is a lot of the, the nor, northern um, New England marshes because there's not enough sediment coming into the marshes. Sediment comes in, as I mentioned earlier, from the erosion of mountains and all that that comes down, creates the barrier beaches, but the sediment also gets in behind to create the marshes. Well, our mountains have all, even though Mount Washington is, what, 6,000 feet or whatever it is, is very minuscule in elevation, and much of the erosion has already occurred, unlike in the uh, the Rocky Mountains and some of the other mountains where there's a lot of sediment yet to be gleaned from them, uh, where we get very little... Um, sediment coming from the rivers. As a matter of fact, the primary way that the salt marsh builds is through um, ice and freezing and thawing of the, the creeks where at low tide the uh, creek will freeze at the bottom, sediment will be stuck to the bottom of it, lifted up, it goes up and down as the tidal cycle happens over a period of days, weeks, whatever, and then you'll get an astronomically high tide 
and that whole set of ice will flow out into the marsh, get trapped onto the marsh as the, the tide recedes, and that sediment will be left. Well, you're talking two or three centimeters maybe of sediment, and maybe the ice block is the size of a vehicle, and you have one over there, here, wherever, it's not a very efficient way to raise the elevation of the, uh, the salt marsh. And, go ahead. And, and some of the restoration efforts you're doing to protect the marsh is actually bringing sediment in. Is that correct? That's, yes, there's a lot of restoration efforts. Um, one would be to, to beneficially reuse dredge material from um, channels that are being dredged for navigation and take that sediment and put it up into the marsh. Or we have a um, hundred years or so ago, the marshes were ditched for mosquito purposes. They were trying to di drain off the water and get rid of the mosquitoes. So there's a ditch network all the way from the Carolinas up to Maine with, um, and they created a change in hydrology. So one of the things would be to use that sediment from dredge materials to fill some of the ditches, and you have to be very selective. You have to figure out which ones you want to fill. You can't just willy-nilly fill any ditch. But to also spread it across the broad marsh, the high marsh, in incremental layers of five to 10 centimeters and do that on a regular basis because that way the vegetation that's on the marsh platform can grow up through it and it builds the marsh slowly. And that's just one, one method that we're working on at this point. It's a pilot because um, our state regulations are very strict. I mean, that's why the, a lot of the wetlands are preserved in this state, but it makes it difficult to even do pilot projects and to do anything sort of innovative um, and we're running into that as a big hurdle with some dealing with the state bureaucracy. Yes, uh -huh. exactly. How how would you possibly truck sediment into a marsh? How would it? How would it you would come? It, it would come from the dredge when they uh -huh. dredge when they suck the material up. It's generally, you know, they they suck it up and it's wet and they spread it out. They'll blow it out in big hoses from over, boats. From yeah, from the boats or the barge, and you know that's what we want to test. I mean, they do it in other parts of the country where they use um, laser-guided <clears throat> levels to figure out where to put the sediment and how to, um, how to distribute it around the marsh. But yeah, that's how that would work. Um, you talked about marshes acting as a carbon sink. And we talk a lot about climate change on this show and, and um, what do we do about climate change? One is to decarbonize, to um, reduce our reliance on fossil fuels, oil, oil, coal, and gas. But the other is to promote any kind of way to, uh, to take carbon out of the atmosphere, to capture carbon. And marsh plants actually do this? They act as a carbon Oh, yeah. Sink? They're very, very efficient at doing that. In particular, eelgrass, which is a subtitle grass that we've been restoring, it was prolific in the Great Marsh 100 years ago. Now it's only really in the very southern end of the marsh. And we are transplanting um, some of that eelgrass up into other parts of the marsh. To tr not only does it act as a carbon sink, but it helps to stabilize the um, the marsh banks that it fronts, as well as the channels that it's along. And you're using college students in scuba gear to do that? Is that currently correct? right now? Because we had an incident where we had some clammers dig up one of our best eelgrass restoration sites, going after razor clams. So we're going 
over that into deeper waters, a little bit deeper water. Eelgrass can't grow in too deep a water, but in a little bit deeper water. And we have divers now that we're using. Uh, the, the divers that need their credit for their diving classes at the universities, and we're using them. To plant eelgrass. Yep, harvest to, and plant. To harvest uh, carbon and to help mitigate uh, sea level rise stuff. We're talking with Peter Fippen. Peter is a hydrogeologist and coastal scientist, and he is also my brother-in-law, and we've made a pact here not to gossip about uh, his sister, my wife, um, until after we are off the air. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. When it gets down to the city, the turns WHMT. It's poisoned and polluted by the people as it flows along its way. Don't go near the water, children. See the fish all dead upon the shore. Don't go near the water. Water isn't water. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. The Votes Act, signed into law by Governor Baker on Wednesday, was a compromise bill. We'll hear about all the good that was included and also what was omitted when we speak with State Representative Mindy Dom, who will be our guest Friday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your spring-summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance. Which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. Learn Spanish, learn French, or German. Learn a language with the International Language Institute. Speaking the language with others who are learning is inspiring. ILI is a PDP provider for the state of Massachusetts and an accredited provider of continuing education units. Learn Spanish, French, German. 10-week part-time classes start June 27th. Sign up online. One of the world's top language schools is right here, the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. We heard you, Western Mass. You're interested in opportunities like Airbnb, but you don't know where to start. You're proud of our community and excited to create special memories for your guests. Mostly, though, you want some relief from the demands of hosting, like communication and the cleaning. Yes, the cleaning. Well, your friends at Beloved Earth are excited to finally offer BE co-hosting. Whatever your short-term rental needs, we're ready to help. Booking management consults now for Northampton area. Visit becohosting.com to learn more and say hi. Now that summer is officially here, the nation's airlines are trying to figure out how they are going to deal with an increase in demand for tickets and a shortage of airline personnel. Last week's Father's Day Juneteenth celebration caused widespread delays and cancellation of thousands of flights. According to BuzzFeed, the risk that TikTok could share user data with the Chinese government is real. The website reports it has listened to hours of audio from TikTok employee meetings where sharing was discussed. One employee could be heard saying everything is heard in China. 
get ready for a recession. That's the prediction from the investment bank Norma. In a note, analysts at the bank point to two major factors. The Federal Reserve is hiking interest rates and inflation is growing at the fastest rate since 1981. Both, the bank says, will limit growth. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 Welcome back. We're talking with Peter Fippen. Peter is a hydrogeologist and coastal scientist, and we're talking about the Great Marsh in northeast Massachusetts, going all the way up into New Hampshire. And again, those of you that are vacationing, maybe up to Plum Island or to Cranes Beach and just noticing what a beautiful bunch of barrier beaches and marshes there is. And let's get back to some of the issues of why marshes are so important. You talked about species. Uh, we t- t- talked a lot about plants, but what about uh, animals, birds, fish uh, relying on the marsh? There's a huge diversity of, of uh, animals and birds that rely on the marsh. The Great Marsh is really the only stopover for many of the uh, shorebirds that are in the North American flyway. Um, it's really the only place they stop to refuel. Um, the marsh itself is also um, a nursery habitat or s- at least some stage of life cycle. Co- all the commercial fish that we, uh, the fishermen go after um, live in the marsh at some point in their life cycle. So it's extremely important in that sense. And you know the other the other animals in the marsh. I mean, just help to they're part of the the, the natural ecosystem. And help the Strangest marsh. thing you've ever seen in your travels, wildlife encounters. I saw in his brother-in-law. A sea turtle in in the marsh in wow. one of the rivers. It must have gotten washed up during. You know, some water, um, warm water event, a hurricane or something like that. But we were, uh, it swam right by us and it was. Uh, and you do not see sea turtles. No, in no, no. They shouldn't be north of what, maybe Maryland or something. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, we're talking about uh, species that, that, that the marsh harbors, but they're invasive species as well that have come in that are very problematic and represent one of the threats. Sure. Can you talk about some of those? Sure, yeah. I mean, this morning I was out on the Merrimack River um, treating invasive pepperweed, which is um, it's a new invader. It probably came down the Merrimack River. It's only been seen in the Great Marsh probably for about 10 or 15 years now, so we're trying to take care of that before it gets a foothold. Um, that's in partnership with uh, Mass Audubon and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. But we also have a big effort on invasive Phragmites, um, which is all over the marsh um, boundary, the edge of the marsh, the upland edge. Um, but we saw it probably 10, 12 years ago growing in the middle of the marsh, high marsh platform, half a mile from the nearest upland area. And very unusual. Um, so we've been after that for the last decade or so. And we've pretty much eradicated it. I mean, hundreds of acres of it, wow. you know, mostly in, in half acre, quarter acre size stands out in the marsh. And we've gotten rid of three or 400 of them. We know all about Phragmites here in the western part of the state as being a <clears throat> horrific invasive to 
not coastal wetlands here, but our, our interior wetlands. It's just taking over just a mat of monoculture and nothing can survive. How do you, how do you take it out? Well, you know, there's a, there's a couple of different ways. And when we first got started, we were looking at all kinds of things, um, fire, cutting, chemicals, and saltwater intrusion. As a matter of fact, we were hoping that would be our silver bullet was opening up and letting more salt water in, which really works well because, I mean, Phragmites takes advantage of poor water quality, and that's why it can live where it does in so many different places, why it's so invasive, because no other plant can live there. But um, we were hoping that a tidal restriction, a big bridge that was put in um, 50 years ago, uh, it, it, it's only about 50 feet wide. It used to be about 350 feet wide and allowed an exchange of salt water in there. And this is getting into the area where the um, Phragmites is growing in the high marsh. And we were hoping that we did a big modeling study. We were hoping that we could ascertain whether or not opening that bridge back up would indeed kill off the Phragmites. It, do, it, it turned out that it, the hydrology has changed enough that it's not going to do what it does, what it used to do. Um, so we're essentially going after it with measured uh, um, chemical control. Mm, wow. Uh, herbicides can be very effective when used wisely. And yep. there's a lot of controversy here in the western part of the state about using any kind of herbicides, Definitely. even on invasives, Definitely. particularly in wetlands where where it can be problematic. Brian, may I ask a question? A listener, I'm, I'm sort of, this is pretty sophisticated what, what you're explaining to us, Peter, but what is a bog, what is a swamp, and what is a marsh? How are they different? Um, I don't know. <laughs> a marsh, a salt marsh. Um, you it's know, coastal. I yeah, no, that. I don't know the exact definition, but there certainly is a difference between them. But yeah, the salt marsh is obviously... Coastal, it's brackish salt water. Um, a bog, I don't know. I think, well, you probably know better than well, I. Think, I think a lot of it is defined by vegetation, and bogs are very acidic, very peat-driven. Holly bog, one of right. the great natural yeah. areas that, that, that people can visit. Swamps can be huge trees, um, some They're shrubs marsh. as well. Salt, swamps and marsh yeah, are shrub, very similar. Yeah, although although I think swamps get get to be larger. larger are swamps in, in, inland by definition? Uh, I think freshwater. You know, yeah, freshwater swamps. I think you don't see yeah. coastal swamps unless you're going down into oh, mangrove yeah, swamps yeah, down south in Florida yeah. and Georgia, and those in those kinds of places. Peter, you've worked for 40 years now on restoration efforts for wetlands and marshes. Are you optimistic that these efforts are are gaining traction? I mean, is there hope for for marshes? Yes, I, I do think so. I mean. You know, it all depends on climate change. I think that, you know, temporarily at least, temporarily being maybe 25, 30, 50 years, I think we're going to be able to manage and protect and restore. Um, as sea level rises more and more, um, you're going to lose the battle. But you don't want to throw in the towel now and, you know, when, you, when it might be 50 years or even 100 years before change. We don't know when that's going to happen, so we're going to keep diligently restoring what we can while we can. 
I don't know if that was an optimistic or pessimistic <laughs> I response. Don't I mean, my optimism is that we will get a handle on climate change. We will decarbonize. We will find ways to capture carbon out. And the, rest, the restorative efforts that you and other environmentalists are doing will really sort of gain traction. That's what we're hoping. We're hoping that there will be a solution found at some point. And so we're trying to keep up as best we can. That's a great takeaway for listeners. It is. I like your optimism. Let's hope so. Um, Peter, if folks want to contact you or are more interested in the Great Marsh, how can they they get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me at um, my email that they can find through the Merrimack Valley Planning Commission or through the Mass Bay's National Estuary Partnership um, or just Google my name. We've been talking with Peter Fippen. Peter is a hydrogeologist. And could you spell Fippen so they could find his name? He is in Peter, H-I-P-P-E-N. Not only a hydrogeologist and coastal scientist, but my brother-in-law and brother to my wife, which is probably your number one thing, right? Everything else is oh, secondary. Oh, yeah. That's secondary. Totally, yeah. Um, thank you so much for being here, Peter. We really appreciate your time. Thanks Coming all the way me. from Essex. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. We will be back with Ruth Griggs and her guests in Take 5. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Peter. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. Talk a swamp which had it lock you in when the sun goes. The Afternoon Buzz is brought to you by Lundgren, family-run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. State Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz is ending her campaign for governor of Massachusetts, leaving State Attorney General Maura Healey as the only viable Democrat still in the running. Chang-Diaz made the announcement today. One year after she declared she was entering the race, she said she would turn her focus to make sure that down-ballot candidates who share her values and approach to put courage over politics get elected. Chang Diaz's name will remain on the September 6th primary ballot. Republican Governor Charlie Baker and Democratic leaders in the Massachusetts House and Senate are at odds over temporarily suspending the state's 24 cents per gallon gas tax. Senate President Karen Spilka and House Speaker Ron Mariano say a gas tax holiday would result in billions of dollars in profits for oil companies, with only pennies ending up in the pockets of consumers. Baker, however, said it's time to act, pointing to President Joe Biden, who on Wednesday called on Congress to suspend federal gasoline and diesel taxes for three months. The governor also signed into law a voting rights bill designed to ensure that mail-in ballots and early voting become permanent fixtures in future Massachusetts elections. The new law signed yesterday had passed the Democrat-controlled Massachusetts House and Senate by wide margins. Here's Rep. Lindsay Sabadosa. We have made mail-in voting permanent, which, um, in case anyone is wondering, is a completely safe and effective way to vote. The bill also will help ballot access for voters with disabilities and service members overseas and make sure eligible voters who are incarcerated can request a mail-in ballot. A chance for showers this afternoon with highs in the low to mid-70s, mostly cloudy tonight with lows in the 50s, mix of sunshine and clouds tomorrow with a slight chance for a shower in the afternoon, highs near 80. I'm Nick Arusco on 101.5 WHMP. 
Stop what you're doing. The financial markets are in ruins. You're in debt up to your... And you hate your job. And you keep hoping for a better way. There is. My one-man show, Yield of Dreams. I'll demystify your money myths, transform your life, and entertain you all at the same time. Curious? Join me, Charlie Epstein, June 23rd, 24th, or the 25th at Holyoke Community College for a financially entertaining evening. Get tickets at yieldofdreams.live. Free for all students and start living a life of wonderment, joy, laughter, and play. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Local burgers and fries on the corner in Northampton on the main Dragon Keen plus local burgie. Burgers and barbecue in Williamsburg. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Hey everyone, Gordon Oliver here. I am privileged, along with my co-pilot Tina Marie, to gather and share a community of people, organizations, and experts who are making a difference in improving and positively impacting the financial lives of others. Financial peace of mind is a marathon, not a sprint, so we're cutting through the clutter to help you attain or continue to attain financial freedom. Inflation isn't stopping the scammers of the dark web. So Steve Wiseman, CEO of Scamicide, is back again to offer tips on how to keep your personal information safe. This Saturday at 9.30 a.m. right here on WHMP. Pacific Printing in Northampton has been a leader in screen printed and embroidered apparel in the Pioneer Valley for 30 years. With 8,000 square feet of production, Pacific Printing produces thousands of custom garments for businesses, schools, teams, and events. Let the team of Pacific Printing create a professional look for you. Visit us at Damon Road in Northampton or OceanUpPromotion.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back to the show, and thank you for joining us. I am always enthralled with Ruth Briggs's um, Take 5 segment, which we have right now. Who do we have today? Today, we have uh, another multi-talented musician in the Valley. Where do you find these people? <laughs> Under rocks. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Clay um, is a musician and a vocalist and a vocal coach and a vocal teacher and the leader of a wonderful band called the Star Cats, which she'll tell us about. But I just thought with summertime approaching and um, it would be great to have her on. So welcome, Sarah. Hi, Ruthie. How are you? Good. Good. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you. Um Sarah is also, I mentioned Sarah a couple of times on the show because she's my vocal coach. Um, when we had Ryan Hollander on a few weeks ago and he was singing Old Devil Moon and you asked questions about singing and I, I thought about what I, what I do with Sarah. So, Sarah, how long have you been a coach to Ruth? Ruthie. Oh, yeah, Ruthie, sorry. Um, how long has it been? A couple years? Oh, it's, well, that's a good story. So I started, um, I came back to Northampton in 2011 with the, one of the um, things on my bucket list was to learn to sing jazz because I've been a, a, a choral singer for most of my life. And I thought maybe in 10 years I would find somebody who could teach me how to sing jazz. And I was at our beloved Green Street Cafe and I was sitting there with a bunch of really cool cats and I was blabbing about how that was on my bucket list. And oh, no, this, you picked her up. 
And this is that was that a beautiful woman with a gorgeous head of red hair said. I can do that for you. I can teach you how to sing jazz. And I thought I had just died and gone to heaven. I thought, how could there be someone in this this small valley who could sing me, teach me jazz after being in New York and da 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 da. And so, so since 2011, that is a great um, story. And then, you know, I t- I studied intensively with Sarah for about a year and a half. She did exactly what she set out to do. And then I took a hiatus because, you know, I do sing with Valley Jazz Voices, etc. And then during COVID, when nobody was singing much, I could feel at my age that my voice was going. Mm. And so I started up lessons again with Sarah in November of 2021. And it's been wonderful. Well, that's cool. So now it's time for Sarah to talk a now little bit about time. her. Well, so I think I think it was a really good match. Um, you probably didn't know this, but because I had done decades of classical choral singing, I was president of the Pioneer Valley Capella for a decade, um, and then I made the switch to the dark side and, and became a jazz vocalist. Um, I'd already been a jazz flutist, Although I studied classical flute before, so I, you know, I've had one foot on either side of the of the chasm for a long, for mostly for my whole life, really. So, so I know how to take people from the choral vocal placement to jazz vocal placement. That's 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 great. That's great. It certainly has worked for me. Now, one of the things that um, Sarah's talked a little bit about, but I want to ta- her to talk more about it as. Um, a vocalist and as a teacher and a coach, it's interesting to think about the di- And we talked about this with Ryan Hollander, the difference between a vocal coach and a vocal teacher. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Sarah? Sure, sure. Well, I wear both hats. And a vocal teacher is one who teaches, in my opinion, it's one who teaches the technique, how to make the sounds, what is that, the physical processes of of placement and breath support and volume and dynamics and all of those things. Whereas a vocal coach is one who helps you shape a song and deliver the message of the song. And you need to have all the mechanics and all the technique in place in order to do that song interpretation. And so I find myself jumping back and forth between Okay, so we want to sound warmer here in this part of the song. Well, okay, so what do you do with your voice to make it warmer? And then I will invent exercises on the spot, customized to each student, in order to bring out that uh, skill for them. And then we plug it back into the song. And, you know, one hat on, the other hat on, back and forth. Um, I, I love it. So, so are you? So, a, a couple questions on who you're teaching now, what what um, genre of music you're teaching, um, and what are your what do your students look like? Huh. Uh, so, I take students as young as nine, and I've worked with students up into their eighties. Um, I work with rank beginners. I work with pros. I work with people at all stages in between. Um, um, right now, I have two students um, in the midst of recording. I have a couple students who are rank beginners. I have um, so I'm a jazz vocalist, but I do not limit my students to singing jazz because that would be, you know, narrow. You love jazz, and this is great, but um, not all my students. Do. I have one student who likes to sing metal with distortion. Um, I have a lot of students who sing um, pop and rock. 
Um, I don't think I have a folky at the moment, but I've worked with folk singers. So basically all styles of contemporary singing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one student who sings classical choral music. So I still do that. I wouldn't teach um, solo classical stuff. I don't do opera. I don't do death metal screaming myself. I, I'm, I familiarized myself with the distortion, but I don't really do that. But pretty much anything in between. I'm game. Yeah, what is that called when they do that scream? It's various kinds of distortion. There's fry, there's, yeah. Vocal, I can do vocal fry. So vocal you, fry is like lurch. It's like, uh, And that's considered singing. Sure, yeah, because it's a way you can onset a sound. So like, I, I'm so in love with you. It's like, wah, wah, wah. you make that sound. It's, yeah, that's fry. That's the sound I make when I get out of a chair these days. <laughs> well, yeah, there's the old person sounds. Yeah, I know those sounds too. <laughs> what are some other like interesting little techniques that that you can teach students about? Like you, you just d- demonstrated fry. What about um, twang? Ah, well, twang is a whole whole mishigash, but twang is essentially activating the, the sinuses and the oral cavity and activating the resonance in your mouth so that you get a lot more sound and a richer sound for less effort. So, for example, um, what's a song to sing? So, um, um, so, all right, so if I sing Fly Me to the Moon, without any kind of oomph. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Okay, so that's fine. But if you add twang, fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. It just has a little more oomph to it, a little more kick to it. Mm-hmm. We only have about a minute before we take a break. So yeah. Ruth, maybe you want to answer this. But as a coach, yeah. are you um, asking the student to use their emotion or are you telling them what they should be feeling in the, in the, the music that they're singing? Oh boy, no, I never tell somebody what to feel. Um, we discuss what the story of the song is. Um, but if, and sometimes Ruth and I have disagreed on how a song is interpreted, but I would never impose my interpretation. I will suggest it, you know, well, have you thought about this? But no, I would never impose my the interpretation on a student. That's up to them. They're the ones singing. They're the one who's, who needs to convey the emotions. Otherwise, it's not authentic emotions. Now, I'm going to ask you, Ruth. You just feel what you feel, and then you figure out how to express it? Well, one of the reasons why I'm attracted to certain songs, like I just learned Darn That Dream, and one of the reasons why I'm attracted to a certain song is because of the lyrics. It's poetry, and, wh- and what that poetry, how that speaks to me. And with Darn That Dream, I just, I just, I don't know why, it's often unconscious, but it meant something to me. So I felt like I can, I can tell that story through this song. And then I also just adore, you know, the, the musical line of the song and the chordal structure. But yeah, you have to come at it from your own experience. Otherwise, it'll sound very hollow and, and just sort of made up acting. Which As is someone who good. can't express himself that way, I'm so, I always admire it so much and appreciate it so much. And it's why I like to, I love to listen to jazz. We're going to take a break. We are with Ruth Griggs. Her take five is with a very talented Sarah Clay. We'll be back in just a minute. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Like on Jupiter and Mars. 
In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby. Lundgren Honda. Experience it. Now, it isn't just one thing. It is everything you expect when you're looking for your next car, your first car, or to repair your car. Award-winning customer service, no-hassle, negotiation-free pricing, and friendly, familiar faces you know and trust with your vehicle. Hi, it's Rob from Lundgren Honda. Summer is heating up, and we want you to be ready for those summer road trips. So we are offering a summer road trip inspection. One of our trained technicians will perform a thorough multi-point inspection of your vehicle, along with an air conditioning and performance test and front-end alignment check. This will ensure that your vehicle is safe, your AC is working to its potential, and the alignment readings are within spec. All this for $49.95. So please call, stop by, or go online to LundgrenHonda.com and make an appointment today. Consumer Satisfaction Award winners two years running. Lundgren Honda proudly provides you with an award-winning experience. See the latest selection of new and certified pre-owned cars at 409 Federal Street and LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com. Lundgren Honda of Greenfield. Experience it. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about This it. narrative of our community being afraid of the police department was not at all what I heard. Instead, what I heard is, where is the police department? There are members of the police department that want to build morale and build a better relationship with the community and try to get over this narrative that the police department is the big bad department that is out to get you, and, and that's not necessarily the case. WHMP on 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. At PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. Now that summer is officially here, the nation's airlines are trying to figure out how they are going to deal with an increase in demand for tickets and a shortage of airline personnel. Last week's Father's Day Juneteenth celebration caused widespread delays and cancellation of thousands of flights. According to BuzzFeed, the risk that TikTok could share user data with the Chinese government is real. The website reports it has listened to hours of audio from TikTok employee meetings where sharing was discussed. One employee could be heard saying everything is heard in China. Get ready for a recession. That's the prediction from the investment bank Norma. In a note, analysts at the bank point to two major factors. The Federal Reserve is hiking interest rates and inflation is growing at the fastest rate since 1981. Both, the bank says, will limit growth. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5. And we are back, and thanks for joining us again. You know, I always love being in the studio, but the studio is never as vibrant as it is when Ruth Griggs, when you're here with your guests. So over to you. Thank you, Buzz. My pleasure. What a sweetheart. So uh, it's been really fun talking to Sarah Clay, who's a, a vocalist and a vocal coach and a vocal teacher and an educator. Um, but the second half, we're going to talk about Sarah Clay as a performer and her band called the Star Cats and her, the musicians in her band and, and where she's playing. Um, Sarah, you've got quite a, 
quite a series of concerts coming up this summer, I understand. Tell me, tell us about that. Yeah, it's a busy summer. I'm really excited. Um, so the the Star Cats and I. First of all, the Star Cats are um, Dre Hobbs on guitar. He's in based in Grafton, Vermont, and he's amazing. He's an amazing guitarist. The thing I love about Dre Hobbs is that he plays. He doesn't just play the chords. He adds all those interesting tensions to the chords. So it's it's always harmonically rich what Dre plays. And then we've got Steve Bulmer on bass and, and the. The both of them are a gift. It's just a joy playing with them. Steve is a very, very melodic bass player, um, and he, he too straddles the classical and jazz world. He also has a pop band, so Steve wears many hats. So the band is it's, uh, Sarah Clay and the Starcats, and um, we do themed concerts. And a couple years ago, we were doing a concert and the theme of it was moon and stars. And so just as a joke between us, we started calling it, they started calling each other the star cats. And so I started signing my emails, Miss Kitty. And so, <laughs> so that's the inside joke is that they are, you know, Steve Cat and Dre Cat and I'm Miss Kitty. And it, it's just silly. Um, but we perform themed concerts. This year's theme is, it's called Stolen Moments. Obviously we use the Oliver Nelson song in there. The premise, the theme of the program is the hidden pleasures of summer. When you step off the beaten path, when you slip out into the, into the moonlight, what kind of adventures, what stolen moments, what, what little treats are you going to discover? A, a waterfall, um, a bird flitting by, beautiful flowers blooming, even, you know, tasting some new gelato, whatever works for you. But so stolen moments, it's a, it's a wonderful program. So I, I did notice in the bio um, that that you, that Starcats specializes in themed performances. Talk about the duration of that and and how did you land on that? Yeah, so um, I it's you know follow the money basically. I I wanted to find ways other than the conventional venues to present the music, and I was very hopeful that I could find an audience that actually wanted to hear um, some background and some history about the stories. And I thought, what better place than libraries? Because people actually, when the people go to libraries, they're readers, and they want to learn something. And so I learned how to write grants. And when you write a grant, you can't just say, I want to play music, give me money. You can't do that. It's, you've got to have a, a reason, and you've got to have a, a presentation that is thoughtful. And so this is how I came up with the theme of uh, uh, every year we have a theme, and then it's really a challenge. Uh, limitations cr sponsor or support creativity. So by having a theme, then finding the music that fits the theme gets kind of exciting. And sometimes Steve Bulmer will uh, write arrangements for us. So in our current program, we're doing a jazz arrangement of the ELO song, Can't Get It Out of My Head. Um, so that's interesting. He's also arranged uh, Icarus for us. Mm. Um, so wonderful tunes like that. Any other tunes that you want to mention that's, that's in the program? Because we, we definitely, actually, very soon we want to make sure we know Quickly, uh, some highlights of where you're performing, and I know that people can find out more about Sarah's performance and her and her vocal teaching and 
uh, coaching at clayjazz.com. That's C-L-A-Y-J-A-Z-Z.com. Very simple. Her last name, jazz.com, clayjazz.com. But a couple of snapshots of where you're performing. So a week from today, we'll be at the Irving Public Library. Um, and then um, Dre and I will be at Miss Florence Diner on Sunday the 3rd, 11 to 1. Um, we're there the first Sunday of every month through October. Um, let's see. On the 23rd of July, we'll, Dre and I and George K. will be at the 1794, me- 1794 Meeting House in New Salem. So that's just three of our of our performances, but you can see you can see the whole lineup at uh, clayjazz.com. There you go. Um, now for a very special treat, the cherry on top. We are going to hear Sarah Clay perform uh, Skylark, Marcine's uh, favorite song. Yeah, who happened to song. step into the studio? Hello, Marcine. So Skylark on her flute and vocals. So. Take it away, Sarah Clay. All right. Well, this song was written by Hoagie Carmichael, and the lyrics were written by Johnny Mercer. And the lyrics are all questions, and it's a song of longing. And Mercer was uh, reputed to be having an affair with Judy Garland, who, of course, was a fantastic singer. And so she was the Skylark, and he was longing for her. And that's the, the reason behind the, the lyrics um, and this is one of the songs in our program. Dre Hobbs did a, an amazing arrangement of the song, which sadly you won't hear his chords right now. I'm doing this a cappella, so you just have to imagine the chords. But uh, yeah, Skylark, Holy, Holy Carmichael. say to me won't you tell me where my love can be is there a meadow in the mist where someone's waiting to be kissed skylark have you seen a valley green with spring where my heart can go a journey over the meadow and the rain to a blossom covered lane and in your lonely flight haven't you heard the music in the night wonderful music faint as the will of the wisp Crazy as a loon, sad as a gypsy, serenading the moon, oh, skylark. I don't know if you can find these things, but my heart is riding on your wings. So if you see them anywhere, won't you lead me there? 
How I perform, how I teach is is as Ruth said. These are these songs of poetry, and and they have beautiful melodies, and and that's our job is to tell the story. So yeah, I've heard you sing many times. I've heard you perform with your musicians many times. It was such a treat to hear you singing a cappello, just just your pure voice. It was it was magnificent. Oh, so thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. Our guest again has been Sarah Clay. Uh, Sarah Clay is a, a performer and a music coach and a teacher and uh, is a wonderful singer and musician. And she is performing many times across the valley this summer. You can read more about her at clayjazz.com. And uh, just keep an eye open for the Star Cats and Sarah Clay. Thank, Thank you all. Thank you, Thank Ruthie. You, Ruth. Thank you, Sarah. Everybody join us 4 o'clock tomorrow. We have a wonderful, um, uh, informative piece that's going to happen from uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists about a new SEC regulation about protecting climate by corporations. See you tomorrow. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. There goes the light. Go ahead. You're on the air. When Radio Was relives the golden age of radio. Do you ever listen to the radio? Oh, I might tune in one of those comedy programs occasionally. Can't you see anything at all under that blindfold? Well, on a clear day, I can see the blindfold. You can. Yeah. I'm Greg Bell, and join me. With a switch of a dial. When Radio Was. Brings you a whole world at your command. When Radio Was. Right here, Sunday night from 8 to 10 on 101.5 WHMP. The only live local talk Quiet, in the valley and for the valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 5 o'clock.